0: On this episode of D2B2 Sports, Nick and I dove in to best ball drafts, which are just so fun and my favorite way to mock as I'll talk about more leading up to a season. We were doing this in about mid to late July, so some of the values we talk about are certainly bound to have changed, but this was much more about the broad strokes of strategy and stuff within the draft approach of a best ball versus a bunch of specific players and rounds and things like that while there is some of that discussion as well we also talk about a bunch of other crazy shit that uh i'm sure you are quite used to if you're tuning in having listened to us before and if you're tuning in for the first time we get a little weird but we have a lot of fun i hope you dig it cheers Another, just plain, thrilling installment of D2B2 Sports. I am Derek Weber. Sitting here with my dear friend Nikki Sager. Hey Nikki, cover Winkler in bees. Nikki, tell the people what's up.
1: I'm feeling good, Deez. I want to wish you a happy Friday. I want to wish all the listeners a happy Friday, should you be listening to it on a Friday, or any other day for that matter. The good news is, there's a Friday coming at you pretty soon. So happy Friday. When it gets there, if it's not today. Deez, how's your week been, pal?
0: Our week's been groovy, man. I uh, had a nice little mini vacay last week, which was awesome, which was lovely. Got to see some musicians I really love. Got to do some camping, which was always just a good time. And I've been back at work all week since, which was Good, because I spent a lot of money on my little mini vacay.
1: Dig it, dig it. Easy come, easy go.
0: And that it is. That it is. That cash cheddar springs out the pocket real easy.
1: Have you been watching The Captain at all? Have you seen an episode of The Captain?
0: No, I've never seen an episode of The Captain. It's
1: only a couple episodes in. uh, It's basically the Derek Jeter version of The Last Dance slash the Tom Brady docuseries, which I can't even recall what the title of that was. What was the Tom Brady docuseries on ESPN?
0: I don't recall, my friend.
1: Clearly, it didn't leave a lasting impression in our minds. But the captain, granted, there's some uh, some inherent fanmanship in this. But uh, it's uh, a wee it's bit of bias. Really appealing, really interesting. Seeing, uh, you know, the, the Derek Jeter's journey, how he grew up, how much that impacted his professional career. And I've actually been watching it with the kids, and there's really been a lot of things in there that I think have been helpful in terms of preparation, focus, lack of distraction, determination is a big factor that I think is shows some value for the the small people.
0: Yeah, man, I I think all of those are valuable and admirable traits for young people to aspire toward.
1: Without question. On that note, we've got some things that we've been preparing, and we're determined, if you will, to share some of these thoughts with you guys as far as what are we talking about today, Dees?
0: We're going to talk about the strategy behind best ball drafting.
1: One of our we, favorite topics, best we, ball in we general. Int- we
0: intend to do some live best ball recordings for all of you as well, and you'll kind of get to see us put these theories and strategy ideas that we're about to present to you into action in those recordings. But for today's episode, we really just want to tackle what a best ball draft is, and we'll briefly define that for you. And then we're going to go into various strategies for success while making a best ball.
1: Some of these will be pretty industry standard. Some will be some things you might hear in other places. Some of these are going to be our own takes. That might be some places where we zig when everybody else sacks. Or we zag when they zig. What I'm really excited about is the place we get to when we zog, when everybody zugs, because mm. that's going to be the hammer that really might bring some championships.
0: Yeah, the zog is a notorious place for championship reigning.
1: It's where they all come from.
0: It's where they all come zog from. Zogland. Zogland. But let's start out by defining a best ball draft, what that is to people. Because to me, this is my new favorite way to mock draft. I used to do a lot of mock drafting in years past. The problem I always felt when doing a mock draft was the first couple rounds, everybody's engaged because everyone has just signed on to the thing and they're all excited to be there. But for whatever reason, so many people have clicked out and gone to auto-draft by the fourth, fifth, sixth round of of a mock draft that I'm just drafting against a ranking list at that point. Yeah, Which doesn't really feel helpful in terms of preparing... For my real draft season. Whereas a best ball draft makes you have a little something-something on the line. So people are inclined to stay through the draft all the way. Because to me, the mock draft is really more helpful in the later rounds than the early rounds anyway. Like, I know roughly what the top 24 is going to look like. And now, you know, there'll be variants in every draft. And there'll be the surprise move upward here and there. And the surprise guy that falls five spots lower than you thought he might here and there. But you're not getting a ton of variance in that early couple rounds, early few rounds.
1: And that's what makes it so weird that that's the common thing that you see when you do mock drafts online. You see so many individuals, so many real people that jump on and do four or five rounds, and then they leave. But. Those four or five rounds go pretty much exactly how you think they're going to. Yeah. So what do you actually gain by doing four rounds right. of a mock draft? It'd
0: be so weird. You know what would actually be an interesting challenge to me? I'd love to be able to jump into a mock draft and then be like, here's the first four players you were assigned from the first four rounds on auto-pick.
1: Now what do you Now have? you
0: get to complete the draft. Like, that would be an interesting challenge to me. Well,
1: you could do that. You could just put your mock draft on auto sure. and just jump in. But I feel like I'd
0: learn so much more from that than what people do in mock drafting, which is what we just discussed. Versus... Here in the best ball world, you are drafting a thing that's actually going to compete throughout the season. All year long. It's going to have stakes. And furthermore, is not going to complicate your weekly schedule of team management because there is no team management.
1: There's no waivers. There's no trades. There's no ad drops. There's no setting a starting lineup.
0: You draft this team. That's your team. That's it. The whole season.
1: The platform puts in your ultimate, most efficient starting lineup every week. Go.
0: You get the best points possible. So does everybody else. Yeah, which is cool. But uh, it's definitely the the best ball drafting has replaced mock drafting for me the past two seasons because of the combination of factors we just discussed and because I like to have a little extra something-something on the line with all of these.
1: It's incredible how quickly... The best ball world has grown. I mean, I can think back only three, four years ago, I was at an actual live draft with people because sometimes people still do that in person. It's not only online, although it's predominantly online, but I was at a, a live draft with 11 of my buddies. And one of my guys uh, says, I don't like him that much, but I like him in best ball. And my reaction was, What the hell are you talking about? What? What's best ball, right? Now it's a multi million dollar industry. There are websites, there are programs, there are companies that just do best ball. It's fascinating.
0: Indeed. Yeah, love to see a quick growth because it is. It's a ton of fun to play. I know last, year, last season was my first season with uh, some best balls I had created throughout the summer leading up to the season. And it was really fun checking in every few weeks and, like, uh, bopping on to my various best ball lineups and seeing, like, oh, yeah, this thing I uh, drafted back in, like, late July is actually performing pretty well right now.
1: Well, and there's some pools that are large enough that you can get a, some serious action for a very, very minimal entry fee. DraftKings has one right now. It's five dollars. Five dollar entry fee. Top place, top prize is a million bucks. Yeah. I mean, obviously you're competing against an insane amount of people, but where else can you put five dollars on the line and have a potential one million dollar payout?
0: Sure. And I'll tell you what. Uh, that's like lot that that's like lottery ticket level payout right there for something that I feel has a much more controllable result than a lottery ticket
1: way more skill involved
0: way more skill involved absolutely a lot of research you could do and now granted we're also going to point out like everything in fantasy sports also some dumb luck involved also a little bit of just luck and uh guys staying healthy where other rosters don't stay healthy involved
1: what what percentage would you attribute to luck versus skill in a best ball contest. Ooh, One that's... where, like DraftKings, the there's hundreds of thousands of entrants.
0: Um, I'd still, I'd say it still skews like 60% luck, 40% skill. Okay. Maybe even 50-50. Okay. But uh, I'd I lean towards it being slightly more luck involved than skill involved.
1: It's a curious take. I think I would go higher on the luck side of things. But I think that what you do is you set yourself up to be in position where you can take advantage of a lot of different outcomes to where the luck is more likely to land on your side. Because there's going to be a lot of things that happen that are unforeseeable, even if it's just injuries, for once, yes. right? I mean, how do you – a lot of people get nervous about guys that have been hurt in the past. I think that generally speaking, there's very little evidence that a guy that gets hurt is more likely to get hurt in the future. There are some, but I think that we overvalue people's injury history, right? Right.
0: Yeah, it's more of the injury history is so much of a recency bias category, too, where it's like you're only afraid of the guys that just got hurt. Right. You you never you, you don't do that when it's like, oh, this guy got hurt in 2017. He's been healthy ever since, but I'm still scared he's an injury risk. Like, no, it's, he's fine.
1: There's also a lot of groupthink that goes into this, right? Like, I don't understand why. I mean, if you were to look at a, a composite ADP board across every fantasy football website in the country – Christian McCaffrey is still a top three guy. Well, he's missed 75% of his games the last two years. But, like, nobody cares about him, right? But everyone's worried about Cam Akers. So I don't even understand how one of those things works, but the other one doesn't. Like, I feel like in, in actuality it should be either you're risk-averse when it comes to injuries or you're not, right? Like, if I'm not, then I like CMC. I like Barkley. I like Derrick Henry. I like Cam Akers. I don't care about any of it, right? Or I don't want any of them because I am risk-averse. But I don't know how one finds this role where they're like, I'm afraid of this guy getting hurt, but not this one. I don't know how that that plays out that way.
0: Yeah, definitely some inconsistencies in this category for sure. A little, little bit of groupthink, like you said. A little bit of just... I think if you were are... If uh, Aker's actually a great example in this category as someone who... Has been a sure thing in years past, but has never, for many people, there hasn't been a season where I've gone into draft season and been like, Aker's a sure thing that I have to go get.
1: I he's think been maybe. a good
0: fantasy player, and he's been ranked high, and he's been drafted high. But uh, And there's been seasons that I've gotten him, and I've been happy to have him. But he's not he's not in that category of guys like a CMC where I'm like, oh yeah, I just gotta go out and get this guy.
1: I think a lot of it impacts what happened to you as an individual as well, right? Like, if you were a guy that had CMC last year, then you're probably nervous about him this year. Oh, I I had
0: CMC two years ago for the first time, and obviously that went poorly for me. And so now there's that part of my brain that just, uh, I can't get over that mental hurdle of, like, I'm not going to spend a top three, top four pick on this guy. You're
1: afraid of getting burned by the same thing twice. Afraid
0: of getting burned by the same thing twice. That's exactly right. Because my team, uh, that was a team in which... I I, I won a, it was was an OTAs league, which is a league that Nick and I compete in, which has two separate 12-team leagues within it, which the winner of each of those 12-team leagues compete in a super championship at the very end. There's also weekly bounty payouts for the highest total points. Uh, I had won a bounty in that league already and was doing really well until CMC went down. And CMC went down and another player of mine who I'm, neglecting to remember, went down, and I went from 4-0 to not winning another game for nine straight weeks.
1: Didn't you have Ridley? Didn't you get screwed by the I Calvin I did have Ridley? Ridley.
0: I did have Ridley. Yes. <laughs> that's a, yep. Yeah, that's right. I did indeed. That was another player on that squad.
1: What yeah. a banger of bad luck that is. Yeah, do you, do you have one guy, possibly the most dominant running back in fantasy the past five years, that gets injured, and another guy that was an emerging top-five wide receiver that first just decides he doesn't feel like playing football and then gets busted for gambling in the same year. That's a tough streak.
0: Tough streak indeed, sir. Tough streak indeed. But without further ado, let's let's dive a bit into this uh, strategy session here over best balls. I feel like we've defined the term for people at this point. If this is something you've never played in before, I like I said, I do highly recommend it. You can find many of them for cheap. Um, $5 a ver- To me, if you're able to go s- spend $20, $25 bucks and do four or five best balls leading up to your regular drafts this season, I think you're going to walk into your regular drafts much more prepared, having not just seen the rankings, because anyone can evaluate the rankings going into a draft. Anyone can look at the big board, and I'm looking at the pro football focus... Uh, rankings right now and can be like, oh, yeah, Brandon Cooks is ranked at 53. Anyone can have a ballpark on Joe Burrow is down at 68. And you can can have that information in front of you, but everybody has that information in front of them. Yeah, it's how you take the
1: information and you, you make it worth your while. How do you take advantage of the information?
0: And I think a best ball draft is a great way to extrapolate and use that information in a practical way and to learn which guys are ranked in a position that is much lower than they're going to get drafted. Which guys are ranked in a position that's much higher than they're going to get drafted. Because we, as we all know, if you've ever played fantasy football, these rankings are very arbitrary compared to the way the draft actually goes more often than not. Certain guys will go right within the range of where they're ranked, but many guys will go anywhere from 10 to 12 picks higher than they're ranked to sometimes 20 picks lower than they're ranked.
1: Oh, you can And certainly there's going to be
0: reasons for all of those things.
1: You can certainly get an idea of who the, the sports world is high on and who they're cold on, right? Because as these rankings are malleable, they, they don't change overnight, right? They're, they're aggregate. So yes. as an ADP grows over a course of a week, the adjustment doesn't happen instantaneously, right? It takes time to catch up from what's happened in the previous weeks. So you can also use that to your advantage. You can find out who you're willing to take a shot at, who you're maybe willing to reach for. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, listen, I'm not afraid to take a risk on a guy. But I don't want to take a risk on five guys at the same time, right? It it kind of just tying into the injury thing you said, right? Like, you could potentially put a team together where you take CMC in the first, Barkley in the second, Akers in the fourth. Well, that's a whole lot of risk early on, right? I'm not afraid to take one of those guys. I don't want all three. That
0: could be an insane trio of running backs to have for a season that's going to make you really fucking hard to beat. It could be. And it could be you picking up and streaming running backs by week four.
1: Which you don't have the option of doing in a best ball draft. Nope. Yeah.
0: It's done. It's done. That's it. There's no additions after this. But... I guess in that instance, I was referring to more of a regular league scenario. But yes, in basketball particular, getting too many injury-risk guys at one position particularly can really come back and bite you. Getting one or two of them, you'll get some really nice value. And and well, basketball, another advantage here is, say a guy misses three weeks scattered through the middle of the season you can still get all those productive weeks where they give you some great points and the pick is still worth it for you. And you don't feel the consequence of it as much because you don't have to set the lineup to fix it when they're out. So you're not on there like you are with a regular team picking, oh, God, who am I going to start now that Akers is out? Oh, shit. Like, you're not running into that like you do with your regular league. It's just someone else on your depth pool will score points that week and – replace acres for
1: you. Yeah, we'll get into what some some hypothetically ideal roster compositions are and what some maybe other roster compositions that have negative long-term effects in time, but I think for the time being, we're going to talk a little bit in theory and a little bit of what current trends are, how to take advantage of those, and how not to take advantage of those, right? So I think we should kick things off with what really the darling was of best ball strategy last year that wasn't particularly covered until last year and has really Really taken off, which is simply the idea of stacking, right? Um, stacking is obviously just the notion of assembling a roster that has certain mm-hmm. players that all correlate to one NFL team to where you can take advantage of boom weeks, right? Because in all actuality, best ball is just a series of DFS competitions, right? It, it's a series of DFS weekly competitions where you don't get to change your lineup every week. So If you're looking for boom weeks, there's a lot of advantage to having a team where you have multiple options to correlate both a quarterback and a wide receiver on the same team. Quarterback, wide receiver, and tight end on the same team, right? I think that what you're looking for here, at least what I'm looking for, is while I absolutely want to gear my team towards stacking, I want to find a way that I can stack my team that doesn't involve hypervalic use of – early draft picks, right? Like, if you had a Bengal stack last year in Week 17, you went through the roof, right? Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Burrow all had absolute monster weeks, right? But if you want to copy that this year, I mean, it's borderline impossible to do because you're going to have to spend a first-round pick on Chase, probably a second on Higgins. Maybe you can snag him in the third. Unlikely, right? And then you're probably going to have to spend a sixth-round pick on Burrow. So it's tough to put your team together based on a stack where you use three of your top picks on the same team. It it really leaves you with holes in the other area of your roster, right? But there are a couple other teams where I think you can do the same thing without utilizing so much of your draft capital toward one team.
0: Ooh, so you're so you're talking to me about some late round stacking. Some late round stacking, right? Like a little lo- little lower risk. You can kind of go with best availables in those early rounds, and then round out a nice stack or two towards the end of your draft.
1: Let's say, for example, one that I'm a big fan of, right? Let's let's use the Raiders.
0: Love the Raiders. Tons of potency on offense. Great Do you quarterback give me at a, the helm.
1: Like, a, is there a Chris Berman soundbite we can put in here? Is there a re?
0: Oh, I can plug in a Raiders sound effect here for you.
1: (laughs) But let's say we take that, for example, right? Well, you can use a late first, early second on Devontae Adams. You can wait until the end of round six, early round seven for Hunter Renfro. And then, I mean, quite frankly, like Derek Carr has an insane amount of upside as a quarterback this year. He's the 15th quarterback off the board. Bananas. I mean, you can get him in the 11th round. So now you've got... A stackable roster that might not have the ultimate upside of the Bengals, but it's probably not so far behind when you consider how much other capital you've built around that stack, right?
0: Yeah, a uh, first or second round pick, a sixth round pick, and a double-digit round pick feels much more stomachable than, than three in the first, first six. a second, and a sixth.
1: Yeah. Yep. Um, Another one I'm a big fan of. These are all going to center around late round quarterbacks, which makes all kinds of sense, right? I mean, let's try the Vikings, for example, right? I mean, how are you not at least a little bit excited about using a first round pick on Justin Jefferson? You can get Thielen in the early seventh round. And then Kirk Cousins, who's really a hilariously undervalued quarterback, gets drafted as the 16th quarterback off the board. That's like 12th, 13th round material at this point. And I don't know how much different that offense is than the Bengals. Again, it doesn't have the absolute peak of possibilities, but it's up there. It's not that far away, I think, right?
0: And uh, remind me again of what terrible division they play football in. Uh,
1: have you heard of the NFC North?
0: It's it, it's bad at football.
1: Amongst other things. Weather, yep. for example. Yep. Uh I would say quality of cheese is probably one of the better things. Well, in the I mean, NMC that's North.
0: like that might be their lone strength category, really, as a, as a division. They might be the number one cheese division in football.
1: Beer? I think there's some good Midwestern beers. Some oh, sure. good breweries. Plenty of good
0: Midwestern beer for sure.
1: What about what about beer cheese? What if you push the Ooh. two together? Where do you get better beer cheese than the Midwest?
0: Yeah, I would presume nowhere. Germany. I mean, I'm not. All right, well, yeah, I'm, t- I'm talking within the uh, contiguous United States. Mm. Yes, I, I do assume the beer cheese in Germany to be better. However, uh, you're not finding any German beer cheese within the NFL 32 cities.
1: Outside of the Midwest.
0: Yeah. That would yeah. say most
1: German beer cheese, beer cheese you're also going to find Poor in Cackle. Wisconsin and <laughs> Minnesota. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I would say the NFC North crushing it in the beer and cheese and beer cheese categories, not so much in the football metric categories.
1: Can I throw one more at you that you're totally going to make fun of me for? I would love that. I don't even think I have to give you a guess at what it's going to be. But, I mean, are you not the slightest bit appealed by a stack that involves Saquon Barkley in the second round, Kadarius Toney in the 10th round, and Daniel Jones in the 16th round? Does that not wet your whistle a tad? It
0: wets my whistle a tad Uh, for the combination of yet another bad division at football overall. Horrible. The NFC East is bad. Um, The Giants offense is not really the issue with that team. Hasn't really been for a couple years. The the health of that offense has been an issue for a couple years right now. But in terms of the quality of the components on the team, that hasn't really been the issue at hand. Um, And for that late of value, it definitely wets my whistle quite a bit. So I can get Daniel Jones as my second quarterback mm-hmm. or at the 16th round. Kadarius Toney as at, I would hope, fifth deep, receiver. I was about to say, at, I would hope deeper than my fourth receiver. But let's say you've even gone heavier on other positions up to that point and you're getting your fourth receiver at the 10th round there. That still feels pretty good to me overall.
1: But the beauty of that is you can assemble it. Around a roster that includes guys like Cooper Cup or Derrick Henry in the first round, right? Mike Williams or Travis Etienne or DJ Moore in the third round. Marquise Brown in the fourth round. Kittle in the fourth round. Dobbins in the fourth round. You have the ability to structure so much more around it than you do if you load up on Bengals in the first round or yes. load up on Kelsey and Mahomes or load up on uh, Diggs and Allen, for example, right?
0: Indeed. Yeah, those, those are costly stacks there. And that's not to say that those tandems won't do extremely well.
1: But what is your roster going to do around them?
0: Yes. Because best ball, you're really trying to have as many... uh, Possible
1: outcomes. Yeah.
0: As many lottery balls bouncing around in the tank as one can have. Um, Yeah, I I like your theory on that quite a bit. Because the stack thing, like you said, has become the predominant focus in the media when talking about best ball strategy. And it certainly holds its merit.
1: It should. It's a a proven strategy. I mean, I think there's very little doubt about the value of this and how, I don't want to say crucial, but uh, I would definitely say it should not be overlooked, I suppose.
0: Yeah, of course. But there's plenty of these late quarterbacks that you can get good weapons for them stagger through the mid to late rounds and then get that quarterback late. And that quarterback is going to hold so much more value to you late because you went out and got your Tony in the 10th and, and those little other pieces along the way um, can even help. So that, that's a great thing to keep in mind too. When you're at a position where you're deciding between two quarterbacks as your QB two, um, if you've got one of their receivers already just by happenstance, even if you're not planning to build towards that sack, if you've already got one of their valuable weapons just by the way the draft played out for you, maybe use that as your deciding factor between the two quarterbacks you're between at come the 14th round.
1: I think without question. I mean, let's say, I mean, listen, let's say you start your draft off by taking Tyreek Hill early, and you're late in the draft, and you're looking for a backup quarterback? Like, wouldn't it make sense to take Tua instead of taking Matt Ryan?
0: Yes. Yes, it would.
1: Instead of taking Marcus Mariota? I mean, isn't I don't even think that's a debate there, right? You look for the upside. Vice versa, if you took Kyle Pitts early, aren't you going to take Mariota instead of Tua? I I don't know what would cause you to not want to do this, right?
0: I'm still fascinated that Marcus Mariota has found his way into a starting job again.
1: I think he wouldn't have if Ryan Fitzpatrick hadn't retired.
0: I I think you're right about that as well. I'm I'm fascinated by the fact that Marcus Mariota is once again entering an NFL season as a starter. And doesn't really have, like, heavy competition behind him. Like, that team's his, for better or worse. There Uh, it is.
1: It's him or Desmond Ritter.
0: Right. It's great. How did we land here? Good for Marcus Mariota, man. That guy must just be really charming in the room, you know? Like, he keeps just landing these jobs. I'm just like, I've watched you play plenty of football, and I don't think you're very good at it. Yet you keep getting jobs. So good for him.
1: Do you have any any possible valuable stacks that you might have? Anything jump off the table at you that you find? You um, see value in where other people don't.
0: I'm kind of I'm kind of glancing down the board at such things right now. like I'm looking at I'm looking a little further down the list at quarterback rankings. Um, it's hard to say the Rams one, but I mean, I love Stafford in the eighth round. I think that's great value for the fact that Stafford is a proven commodity year in year out as a quarterback. I think he almost every year outperforms the range that he gets ranked in drafts. Uh, He's just a really talented, consistent quarterback. I think he's one of the better quarterbacks in the league, and yet for some reason he's always ranked in like the 10 to 15 range amongst quarterbacks. Uh, That's not to say that that stack wouldn't be an expensive one, because obviously you're talking about getting a first-round receiver there to to pair with him. Um, But that one would hold some level of interest to me um scrolling a little bit further down here
1: you had brought this up pre-production and i think it's an interesting take because it's the polar opposite of what i just described as i had just described how there's a lot of ability to structure stacks around who would likely be your backup quarterback or the second quarterback on your team but you can also you can flip-flop it you can uh, Zug when everybody else has zogged, I guess. And you can take Mahomes early, and then you've got a lot of intriguing late round options to pair with Mahomes.
0: Oh, that's a good point there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you do wind up with one of those elite early round quarterbacks, maybe not going after their A weapon, but uh B, C, their... and D. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. I so like you don't that. worry about Kelsey, but you take Mahomes, and then you can get, you know, you can get Schmidt Suster. Schmidt Smooster. Smooster, Schmees. A
0: Schmitty, Schmooster, Hirstie, Hirstie.
1: You can do that in the seventh round. You can take our boy, Mecole Hardman, who we all love, who's the, believe it or not, 61st wide receiver off the board. I mean, that's a round 14 get. And a guy that I happen to like that I think is fascinatingly undervalued, uh, Valdez Scantling, you can get him down there as well. So that opens up doors as well, I think. Because... Oh, yeah. It's one of those scenarios, right? We talked about this last year where I didn't understand how pretty much every website in the world had three Steelers receivers ranked in the top 30, but they correspondingly had Big Ben as like a, the 27th best quarterback. And I was kind of thinking like, how was this going to happen? Like, how does a team support three good wide receivers where the quarterback is horrible? Like, I don't yeah. even know how you type those rankings and don't catch yourself saying, wait a second.
0: <laughs> now, obviously, this was well before we reached a point where we were recording real material, but that was something that when Nick and I were doing a lot of rehearsal and concept development around this time last year for what has become D2B2 Sports now, didn't even have a name for it yet at that time, and one of the things we were all over was how little sense it made to go after all those Steelers' weapons when, in fact, Bank Ben looked to be completely and totally cooked. And was essentially to be. was
1: essentially undrafted <laughs> in most leagues.
0: And should have been undrafted. Like, it sure. was undraftable, I would argue, even.
1: But I think the writing on the wall was, uh, how do these receivers have good years if the quarterback has a terrible year? And I think the— the antithesis is true with the Kansas City scenario right now. I mean, I don't think there's much debate in the fantasy world about Patrick Mahomes' value. I mean, do you see any websites that are like, I don't know about this guy. He might not be a top-10 quarterback. Like, I don't think that's in question.
0: No, certainly but not. But
1: all of the Kansas City receivers are really low. And I think it's just a matter of
0: and not knowing
1: who's going to be. Your, your analysts don't know who it's going to be, and they're, like, afraid to take a shot on one guy, which I think is fair. But – It's not going to be none of them. (laughs) So in a best ball world, if you can get all of them late and just let it pan out on its own, I think that's a really interesting approach.
0: I love that. Um, To answer your question, there's a couple of the ones here that stand out to me. Um, Aaron Rodgers is ranked 99th overall at the list I'm looking at. I like this one also. Which is like insane value. And now with no Devontae Adams, there are question marks as to who's going to be the guy for him. So why not? spend a ninth round pick on aaron Rodgers and get a couple of those weapons late even later than that ninth round pick that rogers is going to be throwing the ball to because we've seen aaron Rodgers make a lot of people be pretty fucking good at football over the years and oh aaron Rodgers still really fucking good at football as well so if you can get a guy that's got a couple mvps under his belt and get to kind of roll the dice at, out of a couple different guys to see which of them's going to be his guy. Now, I think you're setting yourself up for a lot of success with that one.
1: He's also got a couple good cleanses under his belt, which I think is what you have to do to just kind of get rid of all that beer cheese.
0: I yeah, think. well, yeah, you got to do the cleanses to get rid of the beer cheese for sure. Uh, but who knows that better than Aaron Rodgers? By now, <laughs> he's been in the culture for so the cheese culture for so long at this point. That he's uh, mastered the cheese cleanse by now, for sure. But to um, your
1: point, I mean, you can get you can get Alan Lazard, Christian Watson, and big Bob Tunyon all outside the top 100. Love that. I mean, you can get Bob Tunyon as the 19th tight end off the board. That's insane. Yeah.
0: He was a top 10 tight end last year. I
1: don't think he was last year, but he was really high the year before. I don't think he played it. You're right. It. He
0: didn't play enough last year. Oh, and one other one that I really like. You mentioned Tua earlier, but I love the idea of getting Tua – May, and maybe not go, maybe not spending the early draft capital that you'll need to get the ace weapon, but instead getting Jasicki as well really late. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really nice tandem, the QB tight end tandem, where they're rank, they're ranked at 119 and 120 respectively right now, Tua and Jasicki.
1: Well, you can even build that around Waddle in the fourth round.
0: Sure. That's not yeah. a terrible. Yeah, Waddle in the fourth, Tua in the 10th, and Jasicki in the 11th. That's a pretty nice trio that I'd be very happy with. It's going to get you a lot of points, a lot of weeks. I think.
1: Um, I think a fun stack would would center around. We're getting we're backtracking a little bit here, but I think it'd be fun to stack Aaron Jones with Rodgers and what a wide receiver or two on that team. Ooh, because yeah. So
0: you get Aaron Jones with your first round pick, who and, could
1: possibly catch eighty balls this year. Yeah, like that's a fun, off the Richter or off the scale stack right
0: yep oh yeah and if you do the rogers thing lazard is ranked at 104 that's another another dart you can throw with a later pick that even if lazard doesn't wind up having a great season whatever you threw a ninth round pick at him god forbid god forbid but yeah i uh i i love this mentality of stacks that don't really have to be invested in until the later part of the draft um I, th- I think there's. I think it holds up so much more weight than trying to do a stack that's like, oh, I spent my first round pick, my third round pick, and my sixth round pick.
1: I'm off the premium stack.
0: Yeah, the premium stack is a tough sell. I, I don't think it's impossible to win with it. Um, it's just going to take some really savvy and lucky drafting and the combo of both. You're going to need to be savvy and get lucky to have that premium stack pay off, I think.
1: So let's take this to the next step here. Right? love a next step and this is i've
0: taken one step i'm going to take a next step now
1: what that's the one that comes after
0: yeah so left foot and now we're doing right foot
1: for me it's left foot then two crutches then left oh, foot oh yeah
0: yeah well you know we got cripple nick in the house right now <laughs> so yeah the cr- the crutch step is an utterly important one
1: so the the rage this year right the it, the island that everybody wants to stand on which i think is creative enough that I like the idea behind it. But I think in actuality, there's way too many variables that we know nothing about right now to actually put it into action. I think that there's too many things that can go sideways for this to actually be a palatable approach, right? But what everybody seems to be a fan of in the community these days is is the week 17 stack, right? So you take one of your teams that you have a stack with, and then you make sure that you get one or two guys that play for their week 17 opponent. Because that is the big money week, right?
0: Sure, of course. It's very easy to be like, loved, love to think that I've got a lot invested into that final
1: week. That's the week where you're you're playing for the big bucks, right? Sure. That's the one that you're going to either win a million dollars or you're going to win 621 bucks. So I understand the appeal of building for this week.
0: Especially when we just saw one of the sacks aforementioned indeed go ham in week seventeen last year.
1: And that's gonna be the one that I actually want to focus in on, right? Is is and this I mean, listen, it makes a world of sense, right? Just the way the schedule was put together. Everybody seems to want to talk about this Bengals Bills week seventeen stack. Which it makes sense, right? I mean, on paper, you look at this game, and you think that's going to be a high-scoring affair. I mean, you think about the Bengals week 17 last week. You think about the Bills-Chiefs playoff game that was just up and down the field. Points, 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 points. God knows how many touchdowns in the last two minutes
0: sure, of the ta- Bills-Chiefs game. We're talking about two quarterbacks that I think people would say are consensus top five quarterbacks. Josh Allen, many, many people make the argument Josh Allen is the best quarterback in the NFL right now.
1: I would make that argument.
0: I don't think... I would have a. I think I'd have a hard time arguing against it. I I'm still a Mahomes guy narrowly over Allen for the Magic, but I do. I I think the argument's a fair one to say Allen's the best quarterback in the NFL right now. But regardless, so even if even if we're splitting hairs and saying Allen's the second best quarterback in the NFL.
1: But I mean, we're sitting here. We haven't even seen a drop of preseason football yet. Like, don't you feel like this is a It's a pretty small basket at this point to try to throw all your eggs into, right? Yes. If you're putting together a DFS lineup in Week 17, well, yeah, I mean, you're going to go ham on trying to target that lineup, right? But if you're trying to build a team that has to last you the entire season and then get to Week 17 and then somehow get lucky enough that nothing went wrong, it seems like it's just way too much commitment to a scenario that involves everything going exactly to plan, right? I mean, just for example, do you think it's that far fetched that the Bills are thirteen and two? Fourteen and one?
0: No, yeah, I don't I don't think that's that far fetched.
1: I mean well
0: I mean it's it's difficult no matter what the schedule, but like we're talking about, in my opinion, a top three team in the NFL.
1: Absolutely. Not the hardest schedule in the world. Not the most challenging division. I think people are a little bit too excited about the Dolphins. I'm not really buying the Patriots at a viable contender. So I guess the bottom line is I don't, I see a world where it's very possible that by the time you get to week 17, the Bills have already wrapped up home field advantage in the playoffs. So if that's the case, I mean, do you think all of their offensive studs are going to play? Or do you think they're going to say, shit. We have to make it through the playoffs that are going to include the Chiefs, the Chargers, maybe the team we're playing today, the Bengals, maybe the Ravens. I mean, you're going to look at an intense level of competition once you get to the playoffs.
0: Well, the AFC is just so loaded right now.
1: The Broncos. I mean, so are you actually going to risk one of your guys getting hurt in Week 17 when you have that gauntlet coming up in the playoffs?
0: I mean, certainly not at full tilt. Maybe you start those guys to keep them limber, to keep them fresh, but maybe you're maybe you're looking at a game where you start some of those guys and many of them are getting limited reps, and yeah. by halftime they're on the bench.
1: Josh Allen plays a quarter. Sure. It, it seems like not an outlandish possibility to get to that point, right? We're also talking about the end of December. Yeah. I mean, it, is it possible that this game might not have the best weather for guys to be going up and down the field all game long? I mean, granted, the game's not in Buffalo, but it's still – something to think about yeah when you're making this investment before the season starts
0: yes i agree uh it also i think there's a point to be made here where a lot of the times that you have this big game circled on a calendar for months in advance as this is going to be the shootout of shootouts those are the games that for some reason end 2017
1: what if what if joe burrow is hurt i mean how much how different is this game right
0: how different is this
1: game different. if Josh Allen is playing? Because here's the thing, right?
0: Hell, how different is this game if each of them have injuries on their offensive lines and suddenly they're getting pressure up the ass that they're not used to getting? Which both these quarterbacks are good against pressure, don't get me wrong, but like when...
1: You just said pressure up the ass.
0: Yes, I did. I have no regrets. <laughs> But, yeah, if they're, if they're experiencing an immensely higher amount of pressure than they're used to all of a sudden, it's a grossly different thing.
1: Well, and I think what people don't consider is if any of these things happen, if the weather's terrible, if the Bills have home field advantage wrapped up, if Josh Allen is hurt, these things affect the offensive output of both teams, right? If Josh Allen doesn't play, you're not going to see the Bengals roll 47 points on the board. Because they're not going to have to. So any of these possible outcomes impacts your players on both teams, not just one.
0: Yes. And again, if we're talking about... If you were talking about a lower-cost stack that you've got planned towards Week 17, if you're you're reliant... If you're excited about your Giants stack come Week 17, you didn't invest a shitload of assets and draft capital to get to that Week 17 stack. Exactly. Versus these premium stacks that both the Bills and the Bengals would fall under. Because they're, they're going to be premium of premium stacks sure. for either one of those sides. It's a lot to wager on, ooh, it's a big tasty matchup in Week 17, though.
1: Yeah, I think it's too much. We're going to have to revisit this in Week 17.
0: I'm excited to find out how right or wrong we are about
1: it. I'm excited sure. to look back and see the Bills-Bengals game end up being 57 to 51 and us just being like, fuck.
0: Yeah, that's fine, but we'll we'll eat that crow if we have to.
1: But I still think the theory applies, right? I still think that even though there's going to be I mean there's going to be some offensive shootout in week 17. Of course. I wouldn't be the slightest bit surprised if it's a game that people aren't even talking about right now. Like is it crazy if it's a Raiders 49ers game? No,
0: that's But not nobody's
1: that like we should really stack the 49ers and the Raiders. Sure. But I think it's it's a thing,
0: right? 100%. I, and especially when we're talking about There's more offensive potency in the NFL than there's ever been now. If we're talking about the NFL 10 to 20 years ago, yes, there is a higher premium on the amount of teams that are premium offenses because it's lesser. But there's like 12 legitimately bad offenses in the NFL and like 20 good ones.
1: There might be even fewer.
0: I know. I think I'm giving. I, I'm probably overshooting with that number, yeah. but like that, like your odds are so much better of just having a good offense in the NFL now than they ever have been at any point in history. So therefore, it means higher variance on what's actually going to be the specific offense that pops in that final week. I think. I think the broader message we're both trying to get at here is planning your whole best ball draft around one particular week is a little bit of a poison pill.
1: I just think that while I recognize the appeal of assembling something that has the ability to be optimal in week 17, I'm more concerned with making sure that A, I get there first, and B, I know what I'm planning for. And I think when it comes to stacking something in week 17, I don't have any idea what I'm planning for. I don't even know what offenses are going to be good. Right. Indeed. I mean, I, if, you, if you dial it back exactly one year from now, like would you have thought that the Bengals were a top tier offense in August of 2021? I don't think that was on a lot of people's radar.
0: No, I don't think it was. Um, I mean, I, I can recall the way that offensive players from the Bengals were being drafted last year. And that shows pretty confidently that that was not the yeah. case.
1: Would you have thought that the Chargers were going to be as I'd dominant? I'd rather try to
0: find the next Bengals than invest in the current ones.
1: There we go. I think that uh, this might be a good time to transition into what you were just talking about. But it, it's interesting how people might want to go about pairing quarterbacks, right? Because we were talking about how I like to maybe target a late round stack, which has a lot to do with how you would pair a quarterback, right? You get some guy in the top ten, maybe it's Hurts, maybe it's Lamar. And then you want to build around maybe finding a late-round quarterback that you can have an achievable stack that's going to almost be built outside of your starting lineup. But I think that I like to maybe take one extra step to it, and I like to try to pair a passing quarterback with a rushing quarterback, right? I think that I don't know that it is cohesive to success to have two pocket-passing quarterbacks because there's too many things that can go sideways, right? I mean, let's say you're... You're going to wait to take quarterbacks, and let's say you can find a way to get Brady as the 10th, 9th, 10th, 11th quarterback off the board, right? I feel like there's a lot more reason to try to pair Brady with a quarterback that has some rushing upside, especially if you haven't taken one yet. Like maybe you you wait and you get Justin Fields, who's got some rushing upside. Maybe you you go back-to-back on quarterbacks and you get Brady and Trey Lance as a possibility, right? But I think having the ability or having the option of one quarterback that has rushing upside and one quarterback that maybe has more consistency like Brady, but less possibility to just go ham one game is an intriguing take. It seems like it makes more sense than taking Brady. And I guess I already brought up Matt Ryan, but let's just hate on Matt Ryan for a while who I don't even hate.
0: Yeah. I'm not a particular Matt Ryan hater myself, but for the argument you're trying to make, it makes a lot of sense to not do two of the same type of guy
1: or even cousins who I've mentioned that I'm, a fan Mm -hmm. of from a a draft value but don't you still feel like brady lance has more excitement or more possibilities for success than than brady cousins
0: i do so oddly enough uh uh, the it makes a good practical amount of sense whereas like just to flip your flip you here say you wound up with lamar jackson early a frippy front, then all of a sudden getting a kirk cousins feels even more exciting because you're like all right i've got the Big boom upside guy in Lamar Jackson, the guy that's going to have a handful of weeks where he puts up insane points for me because he rushed for two touchdowns and threw for two touchdowns. And a handful and of games got... where
1: he maybe doesn't put up that many points.
0: Absolutely. And on those weeks, I'm going to be really grateful that my other quarterback is a guy like Kirky, who's kind of consistently putting up decent points, but is not the most insane boom guy.
1: Yeah. I think I think exactly what you're getting at, right? Like, like Brady Cousins... Stafford you can put in this conversation like they're going to get you a lot of 20 point weeks they're not going to get many 40 point weeks and they're not going to get many 10 point weeks right but guys like Hertz, Fields, Lance I think they have a much more I hate this term and I can't believe I'm going to use it they have a much more wide range of outcomes on a weekly basis than guys like Brady do or guys like Stafford Cousins right
0: absolutely yeah, you're, set, you're setting yourself up – you know, I think your argument makes more sense even on the side of when you're talking about the, the big play potential quarterbacks. Like, having two of those as your only two quarterbacks is going to be really tough the week that both Lamar Jackson and Trey Lance are quiet. Because the odds of them both being quiet on a week isn't really that insane.
1: No, no, not at all.
0: Like, the odds of them both going boom on the same week is also not that insane. Sure. But, like, the odds of Lamar Jackson having a tame week and Trey Lance having a tame week aren't really that uh, aren't that low of odds. Like, you know, that's a pretty decent chance at least, like, twice this season those two will have a bad week at the same week. And then all of a sudden, your week's screwed. That week's done. Unless you have just, like, an absolutely hand bone performance from the rest of your team you're that's that week's an L for you.
1: I'm also not averse to being the. I'm not averse to pairing my quarterback tandem around where I take the first, right? Like if I'm the last guy to take a quarterback, I'm very willing to be the first guy to take a backup quarterback. Conversely, if I'm the first guy to take a quarterback, I don't care about taking an early backup quarterback. Cause if I've got Allen, if I've got Mahomes, I don't really need a top tier second quarterback, right? Cause it's, more often than not going to be one of those top guys, or at least I'm hoping it is, and if it isn't, then my entire philosophy is probably screwed enough to begin with that having a good backup quarterback doesn't even give me much value. Indeed.
0: It's also worth noting, and most of you are probably smart enough to not do this, but out of all the best balls I made, I did this once last year and it was silly of me, I uh, took two quarterbacks who had the same bye week, and so I just, one week, just didn't have a quarterback for my best ball that week.
1: I don't really mind doing that as long as you make sure you end up with a third, Right,
0: right. I did not. Yeah. Yeah. See, again, if you do wind up doing that, then sure. Make sure in one of the late rounds to get a third guy so that at least someone is playing quarterback for you every week. I indeed had a week last week in one of my best balls (laughs) where I just didn't have a quarterback. QB less. Yeah, just zero. None of them. Because you can't fix that mistake.
1: Well, I mean.
0: That's the the beauty and the curse of best ball. No, the Browns
1: haven't had a quarterback in a decade. Maybe longer. <laughs>
0: uh, definitely longer. Definitely longer. Um, yeah, I think that that covers the quarterback conversation nicely. And we, we dabbled into this earlier, but this is another note I want to make. Even if you don't wind up – say you don't wind up with Mahomes, but you still want to throw out a couple lottery balls on a couple of these Smith-Schuster and uh, other receivers – Hardman. At Hardman, et cetera. MBS. Yeah, go nuts. Get them. Because that team's going to be all over the place with where the ball's going to go around. So, like, one of them's going to go ham every week, basically. So, if you've got two or three of those guys, even if you didn't make that second-round, third-round investment in Mahomes, it's still worth it to go out and get a couple of those late receivers that are going to be popping off here.
1: There. I think for production's sake, this is a good time for us to play. To put it to a halt or at least a pause and, and revisit this at a later date. But MVS is where I want to pick up this conversation because I want to delve into how you pick your late round lottery tickets, like how you decide who you want to gamble on at the end of the draft. Because when you get to rounds 15, 16, I mean, well, maybe not that late. When you get to rounds 11, 12, 13, like you don't have a lot of high expectations for these guys, right? I mean, these are dark throws that you're hoping hit your roster two, three times a week. But I want to discuss a little bit how you break down and how you evaluate who you want to target in those rounds. And MVS is a guy that I really love in those rounds, and we'll get to why later.
0: Love it. This is indeed a great spot to pause, because i got to go to work. Well. But uh, we will pick up and resume this conversation on Sunday, my friend. Uh, And we'll dive into some other topics and uh, do another episode that day as well. Bada bing. uh, Y'all will be listening to this, hopefully, before the start of this football season. We're getting very close to release time. Um... Other recordings we've done up to this point that you may hear were done months prior to the release schedule, as you'll hear noted on those individual episodes in their introductions. But this one is the we're just getting to this era where these recordings we're starting to lay down are going to feel closer to current than we've ever gotten before, which is very exciting for us.
1: Incredibly exciting.
0: And uh, yeah, thanks for listening along, y'all. Stay tuned because there's more to come. But uh, we're taking our pause right about now we Thanks for checking out D2B2 Sports. The rest of this conversation can be heard in the episode preceding this. We're releasing them same day, so you won't have to sit on the edge of your seat and wait up for more strategy about best ball drafts. How can you wait? How could you possibly wait? Anyway, thanks for listening. Check out some other good, fun media content. We've got After the Laugh Track, a sitcom fandom podcast, and Morons of the Multiverse cutting it up about the Marvel Cinematic Universe from all sorts of weird angles like we do. So 好<音楽>